0: Whatever is going on in our midst, um, I believe, is of God, and whatever is going on in my heart, I believe, is of, of God, and it started with this. The Lord spoke to me, and he said, I want you to look again at the cross of Jesus Christ, and when Jesus was hanging on the cross, now I want to just tell you that the reason he was on the cross from a earthly perspective was because that uh, he told the truth he spoke truth it didn't matter who was in front of him it would could be friend or foe it would it could be the high or the mighty or it could be the lowly but he spoke the truth as the father spoke to him and as he spoke the truth he was absolutely unbending in hanging on to truth as God perceived it and uh, he shared that truth with his disciples and with anyone who would listen. On one occasion, a would-be disciple comes up to Jesus like, I would like to follow you, but just show me this one thing I have to do in order to, to uh, follow you and to, be, um, uh, uh, to have a, a eternal life. And uh, Jesus looked at the man, and in Luke's account it says that Jesus loved him He looked at this man with love in his eyes because he knew that the man was not ready to receive what he was going to say. And he said, uh, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And you'll have great riches in heaven. And that young man walked away. And Jesus didn't do what we would be tempted to do. He said, wait, wait wait a second. Okay, let's let's have a conversation here, you know. Let's... uh, I may have came across harsh, you know, I I really want to rescue you, you know, but Jesus let that young man walk away. So the challenge for the church is to look at Jesus as an example, both in his unbending resolve to speak truth. But then even as he's hanging on the cross, he's praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing and in that posture you have two things taking place right there that is just so amazing uh, one is Jesus is asking that God would forgive the people who are killing him and the second thing is that he would recognize that God should do that because they don't understand the consequences of their actions And so the thing that that the Holy Spirit just whispered to me was that he had finally found a man on the earth who prayed his heart. Jesus prayed the heart of the Father. The Father did not want to destroy people. In fact, the whole reason he sent his son was so that he could forgive. That, by the way, is the assignment of the church now. From this day forward, the assignment of the church is to be unbending and unyielding as it pertains to truth, and yet all the while praying prayers of intercession that God would forgive even those who have no idea the outcomes of the trajectory of the pathway that they're on and the things that they are demanding and issuing. I hope that makes sense to you because it started, it started a revolution in my heart. So I know that last uh, Sunday was July 4th and Independence Day and uh, we, we talked about that subject and, and I know that that's kind of in the rear view mirror, but if you don't mind, I just feel like this is a very safe time to talk about issues of freedom and liberty uh, I think that this is a very safe time because we're not in the, ma- in the midst of a major political season. So you know I have no agenda but just to try to uh, help the church navigate because I find that we're all struggling with, you know, like just how proud should we be of that flag and what about our history and what about what's happening today. Just where's the overlap between raw Christianity and raw patriotism where's that overlap how do we navigate that and I'm just gonna tell you right from the opening that uh, there's reason to be thankful for this country and there's reasons to be proud still and um, we don't have to be proud of everything but I'd like to walk you through some of those things I'm gonna start with just a, a, a connecting thought from last Sunday after the service I was asked a very good question the question was you know when you talk about you know the power of a declaration uh, what is that power what is the power of a declaration well uh, first of all I just want to mention that the, before we get to the power of it it depends on what the source of that declaration is the source of the declaration of independence came from a a revolutionary idea that I would like to talk to you about in a few minutes And it came from a very revolutionary uh, piece of literature called *Common Sense*, written by Thomas Paine. And before you tell me that he was not a true Christian, I'm just going to tell you that a lot of people I know are not true Christians. But you know, uh, we'll we'll um, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But he wrote something that became revolutionary. So before there's revolutionary actions there's always a revolutionary idea so the source of the declaration of independence was and let me just uh, tell you so that you you might be reminded or we might be reminded of this that the 13 original colonies they were not largely all in with a total revolution and a total separation from Britain for about three or four reasons. But one of those reasons is that they were all English predominantly. Uh, they were family, and that was one of the reasons. And also, they they really didn't envision themselves becoming something other than English. So they still looked to England as the motherland, as, as their You know, the the person or the personage, the people who gave them life. And then there was this issue of the British Army, which was the largest and most powerful military on the face of the planet. At the time of the Revolutionary War, uh, General Washington did not have a single cannon. If it wasn't for an odd course of events up in the northern part of the country in a skirmish up there that uh, there was uh, cannons that were seized we would have entered that war with no cannons just muskets you know so there was a lot of reasons why they didn't necessarily want to break away they just wanted good old King George to listen to their grievances and for parliament to consider that some of the things that they were concerned about were valid and legitimate and they weren't asking for rights for americans they were asking for rights as english citizens why would you not listen to us until thomas paine wrote in january uh, well printed in january 10th uh, 1775 and this is before uh, the the battles that take place in the northeast those shots that were fired around the world and heard around the world rather um before all of that took place this pamphlet 47 pages was released and it started with a revolutionary notion and that notion was that all men were created equal now that means something to you today and me but it meant something different to them Thomas Paine was saying look all men were created by God equal that means that we come into this world all the same way all we are equally all sinners equally all in need of a savior equally all human beings with rights that are given to us that are inalienable and those rights that have been given to us should be held dear and precious so so Thomas Paine's question was then so, why is it in England, for example, that there is someone who, by virtue of just being born, becomes a king when someone in his family dies? Why does one man become a king and everybody else is subservient? And then there's an aristocracy. These are landowners. They're barons and the dukes and the duchesses and all these. They're the ones who own the land and everybody else works for them. Why is it or how is it that certain people could have land and other people couldn't? You had to be born into a family. So equality meant we all come into this world the same way, the same as all all are human beings. We're all equal, which means that there was an amazing thing that happened in America because there was a possibility of someone buying an acre of ground and building a house on it and then he would become not a king but the king of his castle he had the right to govern his little space of land and that was a revolutionary thought it started a process in the hearts and the minds of people, in a population of uh, approximately 2.5 million people, in the first couple of days, the thousands of copies of of common sense that were printed all were gobbled up and bought so quickly. Within three months, 120,000 copies were bought and purchased. And that means that people would bring it home and they would read it, to everyone who gathered in their home. So there's a lot of people hearing this. Within one year's time, uh, it is estimated that there was a half a million copies of um, common sense that were distributed throughout um, the colonies. That's a huge number. Half a million, do the the math and the ratio, half a million to 2.5 million people. That's a lot of copies for that time period for people to buy and purchase and that became incendiary and that planted something in the hearts of men and women they said you know what it is only common sense that we would recognize that we have a right to say england we're done with you and out of that they made their declaration so the power of the declaration where does it come from well first of all what's the source in this case the source was a document that gave a powerful idea to people, but when you and I make a declaration, and the declaration we made last week—and it's still my happy meal—I just tell you, I love this verse: "The God of peace, uh, Romans 16:20, uh, the God of peace, shall soon crush Satan under your feet." That's my happy meal, right there. He gave me enough grief in plenty of days gone by. Interestingly, Paul doesn't say that when Jesus returns that the God of peace will then crush Satan under his feet. Well, he will. But Paul had something else in mind. You have to read the, the first 16 chapters of Romans to see what he had in mind. But when he said, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan under your feet, Paul was living in a time period in a place that was not that different than from the time of the Revolutionary War, in that there were those who were oppressors and those who held others in bondage and people who wanted to be liberated from that maybe we could say it's not that different than our time period in many many ways because there are plenty of bondages that people find themselves in and they have no way of getting free so the power of a declaration actually comes from its source but then secondarily if the source is God if it's from the Word of God now anything that God has decreed you and I are free to declare by the way you don't have to create more light it's already here he declared it and light is still here he decreed it and it's still here by speaking he created the worlds into being so when God speaks it's a pretty big deal but when in fact when he speaks it'll change the world when he speaks it'll change the world but when you speak what he has spoken it'll change your world <laughs> So when Paul is saying, okay, try this one on, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And when you find yourself saying that and praying that, and when you begin to pray that with conviction, if you worship with those kinds of songs, if you worship with the kind of songs that we worship today with, Uh, after a while, when you're singing it, when you're meditating on it, when you're thinking about it, it gets into your soul. And when it's in your soul, it becomes a conviction. And then suddenly you're able to say, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Amen. Hallelujah. And, you know, you, you start right there. I can tell you're excited, but for me, it's a happy meal. I love it. I love it. So the power of agreement is that you're agreeing with God. So if we're agreeing with God, that's, that empowers when God said it this way, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything, he's just showing the power of agreement. And we have to remind people from time to time, like you've got to be careful what you're saying and what you're agreeing with. That's why the media and all sources of input into our lives are so important. Let me just say to those of you watching online, we love you being online, but the whole online experience is nothing but, you know, jumping into the middle of a fray of hundreds of thousands of voices and all of them want you to say what they're saying. Because when you say what they're saying, you start empowering them. Let me just say it this way, when you start saying what Satan is saying, like if he told you like you're no good all your life, when you start saying that, you start believing it. When you start believing it, you start agreeing with it, you start agreeing with God. Which is, by the way, why we're not allowed to judge one another, because why stand with the accuser over one of our brothers and sisters, right? Don't stand with the accuser. We need to actually say, "Hey, you know, many of these things you're saying is true, but he has been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is born again. He is a new creature in Christ. He is my brother, he is my sister. He is family. We're family." Amen. All right. I can tell you're you're you're, you're really getting getting excited about this. All right. I know, it's because the whole country is like numb right now. Everybody's afraid to raise their head up because you raise your head up above the stone wall, you might get it shot or blown off. Be careful what you say, be careful what you do and where you say it, and we're just fearful people. It's just a sad thing, especially for a people who were born into liberty. So if agreement with God is so powerful, then what is disagreement? Disagreement is when people actually create a division. Because they don't agree, they create a division. So I just want to say, if you're like me, have been looking at this thing for a while and saying, man, in the last few, oh, you know, seven or eight years, it just seems like that we get so closely divided, so evenly divided, right down the middle, even into the church. Mass, no mass, pandemic, no pandemic, politically, spiritually, so many different ways we get divided right straight down the middle. So the source of that division is disagreement with one another. So I just want to go out on the edge here and on the ledge just a little bit and say that our biggest challenge right now isn't that we are so doggone divided as much as I love unity. See, divided means we disagree with each other. The problem is too many of us are disagreeing with God. Disagreeing with God is a very serious matter. You argue against wisdom. When we argue against wisdom, where will we go? You know, there is sort of this Darwinian kind of equality that creates when people do stupid for a long time and they when they do stupid and they breed stupid, then next thing you know, you just go out of existence because if you keep doing stupid, you you know. So the thing would be to, to walk in wisdom. To walk in wisdom we have to walk with God. We cannot be in disagreement with God and walk in foolishness. Well, apparently apparently you can. I mean, not everything we do is sinful, some of it's just foolish. But as a country and as a people, as much as we need to be bound together, even after the Revolutionary War, they were like thirteen independent nations. And it took them another 10 years to realize that they needed to somehow organize as a body, as a whole. And that's where the Constitution came from. So I just want to remind you that these documents uh, mean something. But what we're looking at right now is just common sense. Today, I'm just asking, would there be any chance that you and I might be able to agree together that it's time to walk in a little common sense. Just a little common sense. I'm not actually espousing that everybody goes and buys a copy of Common Sense. You can do that. I'm reading it right now. I find it very fascinating and it's kind of interesting to, to kind of get inside of this guy's head and what he was thinking and I'm trying to figure out why it is that he died alone. Uh, really, um, about a dozen people attended his funeral. He was rejected by both America and uh, France where he had been a huge part of a great revolution in both of their, their countries. Um, he was rejected uh, and hunted down by the English for obvious reasons. He spent... Uh, A long time languishing in prison and his health was broken forever broken after being in a British prison and um, he thought that General George Washington who had now become President Washington who was a friend that George Washington would rescue him from English uh, prison languishing there and uh, George for whatever reason didn't do that and so he died in this country and was buried in this country and his bones were later taken to uh, England and um, it's not really even known where his body lies today but he was pretty much rejected by both countries. But in one pivotal moment in our nation's history, he said something that was so revolutionary. And by the way, if I could back up and say... That that revolutionary thought came out of the Reformation, which started teaching the priesthood of all believers. So the next thing you know is we don't have a priesthood that is kind of like nobility. People are born into it. And if they're born into it, if they're a succeeder or a successor of uh, Peter, then they have the right to be a priest and everybody else is just common people. So when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg in um, October of uh, 1517, what happened was that one nail in that one door was a whole lot like Thomas Paine's one publication that was distributed in, in a nation. And so when... Martin Luther is hammering hammering, um, grievances against the church. That would be the, the Holy Roman Catholic Church. When he was nailing his grievances against that door in a posted way. I mean, it's like his way of the internet. This is how you do communication in a medieval time period. That one nail that held those 95 theses the hammering of those nails was like the shot that was fired in Lexington that was heard around the world. Again, one shot starts a revolution, one nail starts a reformation. One signature on the Declaration of Independence leads to 56 signatures and a whole nation saying, we're ready to fight. The parallel to me is amazing because God uses the course and the, th- the, the times and the people and the seasons of our life and he is able to work out things that create events and events become history and sometimes you can just pass right by it thinking that it, very little of it and then all of a sudden you find out it has huge history Huge implications, like the printing or the 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 construction of the printing press in the early 1500s. That that one device changed everything. It's just reading an article this morning before coming to church and. He was saying that uh, literally before the printing press, that all churches in medieval Europe were all empty. They had no pews. Everyone was just a big empty building, and everybody came and they stood or they sat on the floor. There were no chairs. But with the invention of the printing press and now the printing of books, that then after a while churches had pews that were much like lines on the book. So all of a sudden, the printing press, that tool created an opportunity for people to visualize a way to sit. And so now we have Annie today arguing for, you know, everybody participating, everybody being involved in the service, and not just because we're lined up or stacked up or ranked up, you know, that some way the people on stage have more right to speak than anyone who's sitting in a pew. It all goes together. It all runs together. So, that being said, I want to just mention two words to you, and these words are misunderstood, and then I want to go into just a little explanation. The two words that became most expressive during the time of the Revolutionary War, the one word was liberty and the second word was equality. Liberty, equality. So today, Americans think that the liberty and freedom is, are the, the exact same thing. And um, some could argue that I won't. I would just say that liberty is what happens when you are imprisoned and someone sets you free. Now you have freedom. So our freedom comes out of our liberty. Then there's another word, and it's equality. That's how this whole thing started—the equality of all mankind. Hmm. So we think that we can take those two words and marry them together. We can take liberty or freedom and equality and marry them together. The problem is if you marry them together, It's only common sense that you understand that anyone who has absolute freedom eventually encroaches on someone else's equality. And anyone who has absolute equality then begins to encroach on someone else's freedom. The two have to be held in tension. And it's done so well in the picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. So I know that A lot of Americans, what what we want to do is we want to celebrate freedom, which means to us we have the freedom to do anything we want with whom we want at any time we want. So our freedom, we should have the, because the revolution was already won and we're independent from England, what we should be able to do is be absolutely, totally free. No one should tell us who we can sleep with and who we can't sleep with. What we can buy, what we can't buy. What we can eat, what we can't eat. What we can say, what we can't say. And our freedoms are somewhere found in that. But the problem is that when my I have unlimited freedom, I eventually start encroaching on your freedom. And if I start encroaching on your freedom, then now I have become unequal. I have become sort of like a king and you have become sort of like a commoner. So then we are not equal anymore. So liberty and equality must always be held in tension. If we understood this, 2020 would have been a lot easier. Lest I spend too much time there, I want to give you a thought, and that thought is that every time in history there was a revolution, or a reformation, or even, for that matter, a revival—three R's: revolution, reformation, revival. Any time there was one of those, there was first of all either a revolutionary thought, or a reformational thought, or a revival thought. So there's always a thought, and then there's a reformation action there's a revolutionary action or revival action so thoughts precede actions and I want to just remind you that the Reformation began with a thought and that was basically this the just shall live by faith and that sparked a debate and it went through the scholarly uh, 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 halls of academia and was debated and then eventually erupted in the streets and some took it too far and some not far enough. But there was a reformation by that one thought that just shall live by faith. That means that righteousness comes to us not by works but by believing in Jesus Christ who did the work. That's where it started, and it led to what about the priesthood of all believers? And if I could just take a moment and do a sidestep here, I'm going to complain about this one more time, because if you look at the revolution, the, the, the idea was, you know, what gives a king a right to rule over us commoners? So you would think that on the other side of the revolution that everybody would have became noble. Everybody would have became a king. Instead, we all became commoners and there was no nobility to speak of. Same thing happened in the Reformation. If everybody has the right to function priestly, that means that we can pray for people. That means that we can administer communion to people. We can share the scriptures or read the scriptures with each other. If we can function as a priest, if there was a priesthood of all believers, once that battle was won, now we have a situation where no one basically is acting, acting priestly. We're all acting like those who were under a priest, and so I would argue that you and I have the liberty to both be no, noble, and we have we have the liberty to also act and function priestly, and we should. Amen. Are we good? I know this is not the kind of message I usually bring but this is a great time to do it. Revolutionary thoughts and ideas precede revolutionary actions. Suddenly declaring independence made common sense. So one question would be, is it too late for America? We've had our revolution. The land is still out there. You can buy it if you have the money and someone's willing to sell. Is it too late for us to return to founding principles and founding fathers and nobility of character and virtue? I'd like to believe that it's not too late. Not only is it not too late, I would like to believe that the place to begin is found in our churches. I was privileged to be at Global Awakening yesterday to sit in a class, they're talking about a new front door to the church. talked about possibilities of reaching people in different ways because people don't want to go to church or because people are hurt by the church or people are unaffected by the church any longer and they don't believe it's relevant. So a new front door into the church. And, and then they used the phrase institutional church. And as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking of two things. One thing is I can't believe that at the end of the month I'm turning 65, but I guess it's true. Second thing is I can't believe that I would be considered an institutional church, but I guess I am. As we talked about these things and we navigated through all of that process, it began to help me to realize that the church, capital C, worldwide, global, is still... God's means and God's method of the restoration of the human heart. It is still the front door for the kingdom of God. It is still the way to be a pillar and the support of truth, as Ephesians tells us, in the community. In fact, uh, part of the calling on my life was as I was struggling over whether God was actually serious about calling me into ministry, A verse that gripped my heart was suddenly that the church is the pillar and the support, the bulwark of truth in the community. And I began to think of those possibilities. It made common sense for me to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you another reformational or revolutionary thought. This one would be like our declaration last week. This one, like if we, if we sunk our teeth into this one thought, we could have another reformation. We could have another or a new revolution. We could have another revival. <clears throat> that verse is taken from the teachings of Jesus in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, he says this one verse, and like if you can just take this and if you can somehow hang on to this for all your worth, this one like believing that all men were created equal, this one will change the world. In this setting, there were people who had come to believe that Jesus is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is who he says he was. We're not talking about people who were antagonistic or rejecting Jesus. We're talking about people who believed, they had come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Okay. And Jesus said to them, You ready? You might have to take notes. (laughs) Well, it's just one little sentence. If the sun makes you free, you will be free indeed. In other words, the revolutionary thought there is that no matter how many revolutions you go through and how many battles are fought, No matter how many elections won or lost in your favor or not in your favor, no many how, how many presidential cycles we go through, no matter, matter how many cultural wins and you know, variances occur either in favor of something that you stand for or against something you stand for, no matter how many of those come and go, there is never absolute liberty for anyone until our souls are liberated. Let me say it another way. You can experience a revolution and be right in the thick of it, be right in the midst of it, and on the other side come out and be a rock star like George Washington that everybody loved, everybody adored, everywhere he went. Homes were opened, doors were opened, everybody appreciated George Washington for what he did. By the way, I just want to mention as a concern, our children do not know why our capital is called Washington. Maybe I should say our grandchildren. Our our children and our grandchildren. They don't know why why Washington is called Washington. Maybe we should just start right there. There was a general. His name was Washington. On the other side of the revolution, everybody thought that George would become the king. There was already a King George. They didn't need another one. After 10 years of retirement or so, His nation asked him to serve them again, this time as president. You could be George Washington standing on the edge of history and have just defeated the world's most powerful army and say it was the hand of God. And now the British have packed up they have gone home and all the land that they had owned is now uh, ours to decide to deed to sell Hmm. general George Washington standing there on the edge of that just I'm not I'm just using him because he's a revolutionary figure you could be Sam Adams or you could be John Adams or Franklin, or God love him, our own William Penn, who's not much of a revolutionary figure. Why? Because he spent so much time in jail, so much time in England, wrangling over this country. But his contribution was he wrote an incendiary book that was called No Cross no crown because William Penn had become a Quaker he was converted and his dad was embarrassed by him and he he was embarrassed by his country he was embarrassed by his dad he was embarrassed by what was going on and so he wrote a book that said basically you have no right to be king unless you've been to the cross of Jesus Christ and surrendered your heart and your life there. And unless you've done that, you have no right ruling over people. Guess how that went over? (laughs) No cross, no crown. Believe it or not, you can buy copies, reprinted copies of the book. I could be any revolutionary figure Standing on the other side of revolution uh, revolution, and say to myself, I am now free. We are free. We have been liberated from the things that bound us. And yet, in the human heart, in the soul of man, if there remains bondage there, there will not be liberty no matter how many revolutions you fight. And there, my brothers and my sisters, is where we're at in so many ways today. I thank the Lord for the great liberties and freedoms that have been given to us because men and women laid everything on the line and they fought for a cause. But let me tell you this. The most revolutionary thought I can think of right now is if the, if the sun sets you free you are free indeed. As much as I love declaring the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. By the way, I don't know about you, but I paid a little bit for that declaration last week. I hope you didn't, but I paid for that one a little bit and I will continue to declare the truthfulness. And as much as that is a happy meal to me, as much as that thought makes me happy, let me tell you, here's another thought. And that thought is this. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And this is why our brothers and sisters who are in parts of the world, such as Myanmar, such as uh, North Korea, such as uh, places in China, and all throughout the world, that's why that, that our brothers and sisters who are languishing in prisons for preaching the gospel, that's why they are still free even though they're not liberated. Because there is a freedom of the human heart that gives you ultimate liberty, that gives you ultimate freedom. There is no freedom in giving in to every pleasure, vice, and want, and desire that you have. There's no freedom in that because you become bound in it. You become bound to it. So when people say, I don't want anyone telling me what I can and what I can't do, that you're arguing against common sense. Common sense would tell you that you cannot have absolute freedom without finding yourself in bondage. So, in John chapter 8, verse number 31, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word. Then you are truly disciples of mine, if you continue, if you continue in my word, so this is where I say the back has to be unbending, unyielding, we need backbones of steel to say i'm sorry, I disagree, the, but the scriptures call that sin <laughs> you know if it weren't true, I would tell you, and, and by the way um until you find agreement with that, you'll not be free. If you continue in these words of mine, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Hallelujah. Even to this day, if we had some way of knowing what actually happened in 2020, would that change anything? No. Would it be a relief? The truth would set us free. The truth would set us free. Hmm. And They answered him and they said, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, you will become free. To me, this is like um, someone addicted to narcotics saying, "I can stop anytime I want." The Jews were in bondage to the Romans even as they said that. And did they forget about the Egyptians and Egypt and all of, where and carried away into captivity in Babylon, in Babylon and Syria? Did the Jews forget all of that? You know, they forgot their history. Because they didn't know their history, they said, we're free. We're we're not in bondage. I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. I don't know what you're smoking, but we've never been in bondage. And that's where you want to raise your hand and say, hello, have you ever read the Old Testament? You know, have you ever read the Old Testament? Have you ever read your story? Have you ever read your history? I, I want to say that loudly to Americans. Have you ever read your history? Have, have we revisited it? Maybe it's time to go back and revisit our history. Well, you know, it's not rosy, just like the Old Testament. It's not rosy. There's good things, there's bad things. But God is faithful. But Jesus answered them, and truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. He didn't even argue with them. He didn't say what I did. What about the Romans? What, what about what about Egypt? What about Assyria? What about Babylon? He didn't say that. He said, "If you commit sin, you're in bondage, no matter what." And that, and that, I don't know how to say that to our. Are people. I don't know how to say that. I don't know how to soften that blow. I don't know how to 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 look at people with conviction and love and say I I, I, I can't I can't go back on this one. I have to I, I must tell you that freedom does not mean you can do anything you want. As a matter of fact, we're not talking about missing the mark, that every man misses the mark. Every one of us are sinners by virtue of the fact that we miss the mark because we are descendants of Adam. We're talking about people who want to continue in their sin. They want to continue in their sin. And Jesus would look at them and say, look, I... I, you're not free. I'm sorry. You're just not free. They would look at him and say, We we love our bondage. If this is what bondage looks like, we love our bondage. We love it. And it's then that in that tension of that moment, Jesus says something so profound. He said, The slave does not remain in the house forever the son does remain forever. Okay. Now, in Roman culture, several things could happen here, but one is, like Paul mentioned this, that a slave and a son are essentially the same thing when they're raised in the same family until they become of age. Then one of them becomes a son and one of them becomes a servant. So... but when they're playing in the playpen, in the schoolyard, in the backyard, they seem the same. Jesus is trying to help them to understand, like using the word slave should harken back to Egypt. And he's basically saying to them, look, I'm, 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 I'm not offering you just a way out of Egypt. I'm offering you a way out of bondage and into the family of God. I'm offering you something that will transform your heart and your soul. It will begin to revolutionize the way you live, act, and behave every part of your life. And it's then that he says, and if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Would you please stand with me? If I could carry a revolutionary thought into our world and share it with people, it would be this. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Maybe I don't have to say if you continue in your sin, you're never going to be free. Maybe I don't have to say that. Maybe people already know that. I know in my own heart, and my own life, my own mind, I did not have the power to change me. I did not have the ability to transform me. No amount of churching, no amount of reading, no amount of therapy could change me. But Jesus, he changed me the Sun set me free now my soul is free to soar in worship and in praise and honor I live for a cause that is bigger than myself I live for a freedom that is more than a declaration of independence I live for the pleasure of of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <clears throat> so the question then would be, Well, what's if if the Sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If that's the revolutionary idea, then what is the revolutionary action? The one I would offer? Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. This week, it's four years since the vision that I had of the gentleman kissing his girlfriend, trying to wake her up with kisses. I want to say that we didn't wake up and therefore there was 2020. But I can't say that. I can't say that. I think we're dealing with the law of consequences right now. We're reaping what we have sown. So, Father, we pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that the revolution that you began on a hill called Golgotha, the center of Jerusalem, revolution that you began when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Let that revolution sweep through our souls and our minds. I believe that you can begin to transform the inner being of a man or a woman and change us from the inside out. I believe, Lord, that we're not just forgiven, but we are being transformed. We are in the process of being transformed from glory to glory. So much so that the God of peace will soon be crushed under our feet in our homes in our schools in our places of business in our in our communities in our states in our governments federal state and local i believe with all my heart that you are able to reach inside of a man's heart and take away our hurt. Take away the place where we were traumatized. Take away the place where we stopped growing. Take away the hurt and the, the trauma of events that have happened to us or the events of things that ought to have happened and didn't. I believe that you're able to transform the human heart. So much so that we can declare with confidence since the sun set me free I am free indeed absolutely encouraged by your word when you looked at your disciples and said we're heading to Jerusalem Father of darkness is coming, but he has nothing in me. Father, I pray for that. That the God of this world would have nothing in me, in us, that we would be free at the soul. Before we close, If you feel the Spirit of the Lord speaking to your heart, then respond to Him. Give Him your life. Those of you watching online, no matter where you are, what you're doing right now, just stop a moment and let the Lord speak to your heart, even as He is ours. And I pray, Lord, for a new, a new revelation, a new revolution, a new reformation, a new revival, in Jesus' name.